Welcome to episode 197 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. So on this episode, Dirk, we're going to dig into some of the deceptive software that has recently come to light as a result of revelations that are friends or are uh, are uh, uh, maybe friends isn't the right word, but the, the folks at Uber uh, used, and it's this application called Grayball, uh, which allowed them to evade and thwart uh, various municipal officials uh, across the nation, uh, these different cities where Uber was uh, uh, looking to do business or was uh, doing business without all of the blessings from said authorities um, who were looking to regulate and otherwise monitor uh, Uber and sort of keep them in line. So this application allowed Uber to create um, uh, one amounted to ghost vehicles or just vehicles that did not exist and sort of place them on the Uber map whenever uh, one of these officials would would get on the app and try to hail a ride. Um, and this is how Uber managed to uh, avoid having uh, uh, officials snag them in a, in a sting operation um, and, and sort of regulate the service. Yeah. So, so this remind this story uh, reminded me an awful lot of uh, at, at least not in the exact um, elements, but in tone and sort of the uh, framing of it reminded me an awful lot of the uh, Volkswagen debacle that we discussed on the show last year, where uh, the the folks at Volkswagen were interested in circumventing some environmental regulations and created a bit of software that that basically lowered the emissions of their uh, diesel engine cars while they were undergoing these testing regimens. Um, and then uh, immediately, you know, the software would switch off, you know, once the car was uh, under normal operating circumstances and the emissions would be vastly different, right? So they engineered it to pass when it mattered uh, un under these tests. And uh, um, otherwise, you know, these engines were, were failing, were basically uh, um, not up to the... Uh, the environmental standards right and in in each of these cases and i i think we're starting to see more and more of this there's this element of specificity and automation around what i would call questionable corporate actions where software has become a tool uh, that's very specifically targeted to deceive authorities um, and if it's not blatantly illegal, uh, then at least it is um, skirting the law in such a way that, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it at least feels kind of dirty to me. And, yeah. and it, it's interesting because this is, um, you know, sort of a side of, of the digital market that we don't uh, always consider, but that's there, which is, you know, sort of in line with the way human beings use tools. We, we don't always use them 
in in a way that is upfront and honest. We also use our various tools to um, uh, do some shady things. Uh, so so I'm going to stop right there. I have I have a lot more to to dig into, but you know, sort of based on <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have a fun conversation. But but sort of based on on those two examples. Um, Dirk, what what are your impressions, and 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 how does this uh, sort of reflect? I mean, there's there's a design and development process that goes around creating these pieces of software. Like I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, designers and developers going, oh yeah, you know, this this sounds like a great project, Uber, you know, product development manager, or you know, Volkswagen. Um, engineering team, yeah, let's 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 do this. Here are our product specs. Let's circumvent, you know, the EPA test. Yeah, so I'd like to talk about this this story from three perspectives and in this order: um, from an Uber perspective, from a law perspective, and then from a software perspective. So, from an Uber perspective, look, I mean, for years now on the show, we periodically talk about Uber. And every time we do, it's to say that they're an immoral mess of a company. And, you know, this story is coming out just a couple weeks on the heels of Susan Fowler, an engineer at Uber, writing um, in, in really detailed language about sexual harassment um, and sort of institutional um, uh, ignoring of the same um, from a, an HR department, even from women in an HR department. That was followed up with at least one other account that I've read, maybe even more from other females who work there with with similar stories. Um, so we've talked about Uber being, you know, the, the fraternity house of shitlords for a long time. And, you know, this new sexual harassment stuff, the CEO in the news for berating and lambasting one of his drivers. And now this story, I, regardless of where all the rest of this conversation goes, from my perspective, you know, Uber are sewer rats um, as as far as sort of morality uh, goes. So um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that before we pivot to talking about the law. Yeah, I I don't know that um, you know anything that uh, at least that that I've seen is is defensible. I, I you know from from the corporate side of Uber, I will say that. Uh, the experience of ride sharing in a general way, meaning being able to uh, pull up an app and and um, you know engage a driver uh, rather rapidly and to um, you know your specific location where you know in in just a few seconds you can have a ride wherever you need to go. And, you know, that might be with a, you know, a nice town car or, you know, you can select to, you know, share a ride or uh, have a ride with with a uh, sort of a regular vehicle uh, driven by a person who's who's doing that as a side job. Like I find that experience um, sort of across that industry to be to be, for the most part, pretty nice and and sometimes even even borderline magical like if you're in a real fix and you need a ride quick yeah yep. um so for for all their faults uber really opened up that that business um and and sort of made it more mainstream and there's plenty of competitors of course lyft uh being one of them and there's there's a bunch of others in the boston area now but but it's interesting to me that that in the development of this 
you know, what I would say is a pretty agreeable sort of green friendly, environmentally friendly industry uh, where we're taking up slack capacity in, in um, um, transportation uh, and, and using it. Um, there's also just this business uh, level nastiness that there really is no excuse for. So I guess I have to, for myself, just separate the, the, um, the services or the, the service industry that's grown up around this from the company Uber itself, because uh, they're two sort of different things. Yeah, and so I think I think Uber, from from the standpoint of of their their morality of their, you know, as, as I think about honorable organizations, you know, they're that's very black and white. I mean, Uber is where Uber is. When we move into the the legal side of things, that's where it starts to get more gray for me, and it's from a few different perspectives. I mean, excuse me, I, I have a cold, so I, I apologize in advance for <clears throat> my my speech today. Um, Number one has to do with um, legislation and regulations. So one of the things in, in the case of ride sharing where that I have been um, exhilarated by is the fact that it's, it's coming in and a sort of attacking a tightly regulated industry. And, uh, you know, I don't even know what to call the industry, but, you know, the, the taxi cab uh, industry, that's not an industry, but uh, however we would term that, <clears throat> this is a uh, something that has been used in very corrupt ways in a number of different municipalities. And I, you know, I think, um, you know, in, 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 and I'm not um, necessarily conflating corruption with the story I'm going to tell, but I, you know, I read that in New York City, uh, people will pay a million dollars for a taxi badge. Like they're so hard to get. The, the, the way that it's regulated is so onerous that you'll, you'll have people who have to pay a million dollars to get a badge to be able to be a taxi driver. I mean, it's just, it's batshit crazy. And it's everything that's wrong with the law. It's everything that's wrong with regulation. Um, you know, big overbearing systems, overbearing systems that can be manipulated, that can be used to help some and penalize others. So as ride sharing came to be a thing, you know, sort of my pirate spirit was exhilarated by that because, you know, I don't want to follow the crappy, shitty rules around how taxi cabs and traditional analog services of this type work. I want something that's working at digital speed. I want something that's working in, in a modern, uh, lightweight, agile way. And ride-sharing services, of which Uber is the, the, the predominant one, accomplish that. So <clears throat> forgetting Uber's uh, many issues, um, I am sympathetic to companies that are skirting the law that is protecting other aspects of the law that are, um, that are uh, sort of defying common sense and sensibility and exist as these onerous, uh, awful, archaic systems, like I'm, I'm just sympathetic to that. So, uh, you know, because it's Uber, you know, of course, right, right away. It's like, Oh boy, here they go again, you know? Um, uh, but from, from more of a, a legal perspective of like, you know, um, how do I feel about this kind of a company, a ride sharing company using this kind of technology to avoid getting held down by a legal system that's trying to propagate a horribly outdated, archaic, garbage 
infrastructure, um, protecting vested interests in this other system. Eh, you know, I look, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know how I feel about it. It's, it's gray. Uh, you know, the, what is the law? The law oftentimes is trying to cater to the lowest common denominator. So um, one of the challenges with the law is that what, what is the law that matters and what is the law that doesn't is blurry. Um, you know, I know on one extreme, if I'm going to go and kill someone that, you know, that uh, unless I get away with it somehow, that I'm going to go to prison and I should go to prison. Um, the law tells me that the, the social, um, the social reflectors around me tell me that. And my common sense tells me that on the other hand, it's the law that I drive 55 miles per hour on the highway. There's signs to that effect. The police have the right to pull me over and uh, ticket me if I don't. But myself and all the people around me are going 70. And if we see a cop, everybody jams on the brakes and there's a dangerous moment created. Um, and then we get away from the cop and we, we continue on. And, and so that's an example of a law that uh, it's on the books. But the, the social re reaction to it, how society uh, interacts with the law is in total defiance of it, and and the the punishments are, are questionable. I mean, there's many times I'm um, over the speed limit, five to ten or even fifteen miles per hour. I don't I don't get pulled over. Nothing nothing happens. So the law, as this gigantic umbrella, uh, covers this huge range of things. Some of which obviously are bad and should be punished and penalized. Um, others of which are ignored, and they might be the law, but we're all kind of rolling our eyes. I mean, I. You know, back when I was in my early 20s and I uh, had that, that sort of early 20s immaturity, I remember buying a, a book on the dollar bin at Barnes & Noble or, or some one of those other old defunct bookstores that was like um, loony sex laws. And as you went through it, it was just sort of ridiculous how each state in the country, there's all of these different things that people do in their normal sexual lives that could have you imprisoned. Those laws are on the books. But again, people don't follow it and, and nobody's getting arrested. And if they are getting arrested, it's in these weird situations where it's, it's sort of like the law is being abused anyway to penalize someone because they fall into a minority group or to penalize someone because you're friends with the sheriff and you want the, uh, you know, you want the boyfriend of your daughter to, to take a hit, right? I mean, it's, it's not punished and enforced in, in any reality. So the point I want to make here in this sort of uh, sprawling, rambling uh, diatribe is that the law is, is not clear. The law ranges from being very clear and obvious and correct and socially supported to being ludicrous and ridiculous and insane. And I think the laws around the regulation of, of transportation such as taxi cabs falls much closer to the insane side than the murder side. So, you know, w w what laws matter? To, so to me, when it's around the taxi stuff, that doesn't matter uh, or it doesn't matter too strong. But um, I think it's questionable the degree to which it matters, if at all. When you're talking about emissions and you're talking about global warming and you're talking about doing something um, that on massive scale is going to cost lives, which is important to me, and is going to cost money as well, which is important, although less so to me, like that matters. Like that's a law that, that matters. So a lot of times software is, software finds itself in the process of picking 
holes, of, of pricking holes into old balloons like taxi cabs and deflating those bulbous, ugly, obese, flabby systems. And I want those systems to be deflated. They should be deflated. And it's just that software is, is the hack that's getting us to the deflation. Uh, so again, my pirate self here, amen, man, live and let live, like, like prick those, prick those bubbles. But the question is, and this is why the law always caters to the lowest common denominator, like at some more objective level, somebody has to decide this is what's important. And and this is, this isn't, um, but those aren't clear rules. Those are things that are sort of making themselves up as, as they go along. So very, uh, very roundabout way of saying, I think, I think law is messy. I think law is ambiguous. I think law oftentimes is holding up old, broken systems. And, you know, I, I think there's times when laws should be broken. Bottom line, flat out, um, is this explicit one with Uber that, um, you know, maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. Um, but I'm certainly sympathetic to ride-sharing companies um, trying to work around old traditional systems, trying to stomp on them from upsetting the the old power order. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting take. Not at all where I thought you would go um, with uh, you know with that. I mean, from from that's my... why you love me, Jim. That's yes, that that is exactly it. Um, for me, I I think there's there's you know, both the Uber story and, you know, the Volkswagen one from the year year before, um, and, and really just the prevalence of what I'm going to call, you know, I don't know if this is a term or not, but grayware, uh, software that's sort of meant to do things that, um, you know, are, are a little bit questionable when it comes to either the ethics or the law. Um, the, the occurrence of this software in in corporations um i it probably should not surprise me but but um but it does nonetheless when when it's revealed uh so so in a general sense we can understand that software is a tool and that the tools that that we purchase off the shelf are are sort of the most pristine ones that uh or or at least they're uh, sort of upfront about uh, you know what their usage is going to be, and that there's uh, you know a lot of possibility for these tools to be uh, uh, used in 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 other ways, you know, nefarious or not. And and I'm not even talking about sort of uh, uh, sort of black hat activities like stealing credit card numbers or social security numbers or. Um, uh, you know, uh, what have you, uh, uh, stuff that's clearly um, sort of on the side of criminality. But the idea that there's there's a set of tools being developed to further corporate interests that are, you know, specifically, um, uh, you know, not, not straightforward, but rather sort of targeted to be um, uh, uh, deceptive. I, I think that's a... Um, very, very much a a growing trend, uh, you know, as as far as we can see it revealed as as digital companies grow bigger, um, as all companies become software companies, uh, they can build tools now that advantage themselves, um, you know, sometimes to the to the detriment of others. So, um, 
at, at least from from my perspective, this is an unexpected area of software um, that I'm just starting to see develop. Um, we're, we're we're well aware of sort of the commercial and B two B side of things, and we hear all the stories about the uh, uh, cybersecurity breaches and sort of the other. Uh, uh, darknet side of things, but this this spot in the middle uh, is frankly it has been a blind spot for me, uh, and and as the digital life unfolds, um, uh, it, it's very interesting to see this this um, this what I would call a category of software uh, uh, sort of take shape that is uh, you, you know neither black nor white like the uh, uh, you know like like the market itself. Dirk, your uh, um, your your take on it is 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 uh, pretty interesting. Just from a uh, from a framing standpoint, looking at it as as uh, sometimes it can be a bit of leverage against an antiquated system, and uh, in other cases, you know, it's this uh, you know very objectionable thing because it's uh, you know causing damage to to our to our environment and our atmosphere and and that's that's what really interests me about this gray area of of software um and i'm i'm sure we are going to see uh more of this type to come i'm, I'm sure we will and and the question is um you know who who is the who who ultimately is the arbiter the the moral arbiter the legal arbiter um you know from my perspective of course you know, my judgments around Volkswagen's move is a yay and Uber's are, or excuse me, Volkswagen's uh, move is a nay. Uber's is a yay, um, makes sense and is coherent, but probably I'm not the one who should be making the judgments around this stuff. And, you know, the question is, how do we, how do we get to an environment where those, those lines are more clear and crisp and how do we how do we get to the point where we socially are ready to identify and overturn these these old antiquated systems and use use software and use innovation as active levers to change that? You know, in the past, changing things would take generations. Um, it would take either generations or massive revolution. Uh, now, changes are as simple as code. Changes are as simple as putting out a new product that skirts around the silly inanities of, of the past. And how can we as a society and how can we as a system embrace that and benefit from it instead of, uh, you know, uh, straddling it with the, um, the limitations and the, you know, the vested interests of the past. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? 
You can follow me on Twitter at dnemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 197 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>